0: I've watched hockey. One thing I've learned about watching Gary is he's never very predictable. If you stick around till the end of this podcast, I'll give my prediction for this series. I know they're calling it a qualifying series. This is a playoff series, folks. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross, and I am also Andrew Gross on Twitter, at agrossnewsday, and I thank you all for uh, tuning in again. Guess what I did the other night, and I'm sure a lot of you did as well. I, I watched hockey. I watched a lot of hockey. There's been a lot of hockey games on across the, uh, uh, the broadcasting platforms and boy, uh, was that a lot of fun to, uh, you know, sit there and, uh, and, and get some hockey back into our lives. It's, it's been a long time. Uh, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, uh, that it was 141 days uh, between the Islanders game in Vancouver on March 10th and their 2-1 exhibition game win over the Rangers in Toronto on Wednesday. So uh, welcome to the This Is Hockey episode, episode 42. And uh, we're going to be previewing the Islanders upcoming best of five Qualifying series against the Florida Panthers, the Islanders seated seventh in the Eastern Conference, the Panthers seated tenth. And to do that, I have uh, two guests that I think you'll enjoy hearing from, one, uh, one from each side, as it were. First, we're going to talk to, uh, you know him, you love him, Butch Goring of MSG Networks, uh, former Islanders player, Uh, legend, coach, and longtime analyst. And uh, Butch and I discuss all things Islanders and uh, give a scouting report from the Islanders' point of view going into the series. And then we're going to talk to Steve Goldstein of Fox Sports Florida, Uh, the Panthers' play-by-play voice. And Steve is going to tell you all about the Panthers and what you can expect to see starting Saturday with Game 1. And, uh, you know, before, before you get to Game 1, if you haven't already, I, I hope everyone has gotten a chance to listen to Episode 41, chatted with Islanders co-owner John Ledecky and Oakview Group CEO Tim Liwicki in that episode about all things UBS arena and uh, some thoughts on the Coliseum and running it and where the Islanders might be playing uh, next season before getting to Belmont. And uh, like I said, I hope uh, after listening to this, if you haven't, you can go back and listen to that. And um but um, before before all that, here's where we are with the Islanders and the Panthers. Uh, like I said, it's it's good to have hockey back. It's good to be talking about analysis and uh, game action. And uh, you know, before uh, before all that, as, as I do each week, uh, I, I hope everyone is uh, is healthy and staying safe. And uh, you've made it through another week. And, uh, you know, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, at least uh, for hockey fans here in terms of uh, scheduling. And as far as the schedule, like I said, Saturday, 4 p.m., game one. Islanders-Panthers. The Islanders will be the home team, the designated home team, since all games will be played at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. But the Islanders will be the designated home team for games 1 and 2 and 5 if necessary. Game 1 is Saturday at 4 p.m. And then the Islanders uh, play a uh, back-to-back games 2 and 3. That's uh, August 4th. Uh, a noon face-off for Game 2, and then August 5th, a noon face-off for Game 3, and then after that, um, if Games 4 and 5 are necessary, they would be uh, August 7th and August 9th, respectively, face-off times still to be set, based on All the other series still going, you know, uh, depending on where those series are. So uh, that is the schedule. And the big thing is, of course, Saturday, 4 p.m., be in front of your TVs uh, or listen to my good friends, Chris King and Greg Picker. Uh, on the radio, however you get your Islanders hockey, um, and and I'll be doing the same. I am not up in Toronto. uh, did not go through a 14-day quarantine by myself in a hotel room. You know, there's no special media access up there other than seeing the games live, and there is value to that. Um, But, you know, Brendan and Butchie do a great job on the radio, uh, on TV and Kinger and Greg do a great job on radio. So I think I'm well set to cover this team, even though I'm physically not around them. And, uh, you know, where, where do I see this series going? Well, if you stick around till the end of this podcast and, and we'll get you there, um, I, I'll give my prediction for this series, but, you know, just reviewing what these two teams did this season, The Islanders uh, swept the three-game regular season series. Um, I I don't know how much you can glean from that now, since those games were a long time ago. Uh, The first game was on October 12th. A 3-2 win, uh, was that an overtime or shootout win? Uh, Yes, I'm seeing that was a 3-2 shootout win um, at the Coliseum, and Semyon Varlamov who I believe will be in net for game one based on his really strong shutout two periods against the Rangers on Wednesday night, Um, had 35 saves in that game. Um, But, of course, Thomas Grice also plays very well against the Florida Panthers, and he did so this season. Makes 37 saves and a 2-1 win at Barclays Center in Brooklyn on November 9th. And then uh, the only non-one-goal game between these teams, and that's almost a misnomer, Grice makes uh, 32 saves and a 3-1 win at Florida on December 12th. So that's that's the last time these teams played. So you're going to go from December 12th to August 1st between games this season between these teams. But uh, as I say, the uh, the 3-1 score is a misnomer. Adam Pellick who, boy, was it good to see him back on the ice on Wednesday, along with Casey Zizekas. And and also, by the way, a fully healthy Cal Clutterbuck, which has sort of been soft-pedaled through all of this. But, uh, um, you know, I'll get to that in a sec. 3-1 win on December 12th at Florida was really a 2-1 game, but Adam Pellick scores an empty netter with three seconds left. So three incredibly tight games between these teams uh, this season. And like I said, um, it was really good in the Rangers game on Wednesday night to see Adam Pellick back on that top pair with Ryan Pulak. He plays about 15 minutes and looked really, really seamless and uh, like he was raring to go. Uh, said he had a few jitters, you know, first couple of shifts. Worked that out pretty quickly. Um, and it's It's almost... You know, immeasurable what kind of boost the Islanders get with with Adam Pellick back in the lineup. Uh, You know, top pair defenseman, probably the best stick on the team. Uh, You know, really their best shutdown defenseman. Um, uh, A really solid penalty killer. And, And the penalty kill will be vital. In this series, as it would be through any elimination series, but particularly against the uh, Panthers' potent uh, power play, uh, a little bit of alliteration there, um, but the Panthers can throw guys like Barkov and Huberdo and uh, Keith Yandel and then Hoffman. They, they, they've got a, a bunch of guys. They can really, you know, tear you up on the power play. So the Islanders' penalty kill is going to have to be top-notch during this series. And the fact that Adam Pellick is back is a huge boost. The fact that Casey Sezekis is back, he missed the uh, final 13 games after getting his left knee slashed by a skate blade uh, against the Flyers on February 11th. That's a huge boost Uh, Not only to the identity that Barry Trotz wants to play with, but to that penalty kill, as I'm talking about, and also Cal Clutterbuck, who, uh, you know, had a a skate blade slash, easy for you to say, right? Skate blade slash to his left wrist. Uh, game in Boston, I believe that was on December 19th, and he missed 30 games. And uh, even when he came back right towards the end, he just didn't look right. You know, missed a game or two, I believe, when he came back. And, uh, you know, Cal at 100% too, uh, coupled with Casey. Uh, huge for that fourth line uh, with Matt Martin that only played 19 of 68 games through all three of their injuries this season. Um, having that line intact just kind of puts everything in order for the Islanders, and I think that's going to give the Panthers trouble. Uh, the forward depth that the Islanders do have as a result, um, you know, Barry, as I, I've mentioned, uh, Barry Trotz does not really, you know, go nuts in terms of ice time. You know, top heavy you know Barze's line Matthew Barzell's line is not going to get 21 22 minutes a game while Sizikis's line is down around 9 10 minutes uh if it's going well for the Islanders you know Sizikis's line is going to get about 13 14 minutes and Barzell's line will be around the uh 17 minute mark so uh, fairly equal distribution of ice time and and that really can serve to grind down an opponent if all goes well so uh like I said Cal Clutterbuck's return to full health has kind of gone under the radar as we've talked about Adam Pellick's return and Casey Zizekas's return and also Johnny Boychuk's return after needing uh, needing 90 stitches in his left eye Uh, another skate blade incident And, and the uh uh, the Islanders have really had some scary moments with, with the skate blades this season. It's it's good to see everyone back healthy. I believe I mentioned this on on the last episode, but I've thought all along that Barry Trotz really has three lineup decisions to make uh, going into this series, and one was which goalie gets game number one. And as you heard me say with the schedule, games. Uh, two and three are back to back. August fourth and fifth at noon. So in a way, it wouldn't shock me. No matter how well, uh, you know his his goalie might be going at the time, it wouldn't shock me to see Barry split those games up. Even if that would be a little bit unorthodox, I know he's got great tr- trust in, in both of his his goalies. But I do believe Semyon Varlamov locked up the uh, uh, the number one role at least for game one. Uh, he. To me, he's looked slightly better through training camp 2.0. And uh, he looked really, really, really good uh, against the Rangers. Makes 19 saves across two periods. Does not allow a goal. And it's not like the Rangers didn't have chances. Maybe, you know, not so much dangerous chances in the first period when the Islanders were on the uh, power play a lot. But in the second period... Uh, Jesper Faust gets three straight point-blank opportunities, and and Varlamov, just being acrobatic, uh, turns them all aside, including just an old-school, stack-the-pads, scissor save uh, on the third and final attempt, and uh, I asked Semyon via Zoom again uh, about that save uh, after the game, and, and, and and he said he hadn't tried a save like that in maybe 15 years. And there was a chance that, you know, he had never made a save like that in in his career, dating back to when he was a youth hockey player, stacking the, stacking the pads, you know, like they used to do. And uh, Semyon had a great take on it. He goes, old school never gets old. You know, so you got to do what you got to do to make the save. And and he looked really good. So I I do believe Semyon Varlamov is in net for game one and will have a chance to stay in net. And we saw Barry Trotz do that last season between Robin Leonard and Thomas Grace, where Robin Leonard uh, got the start in game one against the Penguins and was there for that four-game sweep. And then even though the Islanders lost the first three games, uh, against the the Carolina Hurricanes uh, in the second round, Trots had Robin and Net for Game Four at Carolina, although uh, he was ultimately pulled in favor of Grice. So uh, Trots has shown a uh, you know a proclivity towards sticking with the guy he picks for Game Number One. Although you know to be fair, Braden Holtby didn't start Games Number One and Two uh, against the Blue Jackets. Uh, in 2018 for Barry Trotz's Capitals, uh, yet Holtby was in net pretty much for the whole playoff run as the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. So that was lineup uh, question number one for me, who's in net? Uh, Lineup question number two is who's the 12th forward? And for the game against the Rangers, Barry went with Ross Johnston. On JJ Pajot's line with Derek Broussard. And uh, as I've been saying, I, I thought all along Anthony Beauvillier would play with Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey. And that's where Beauvillier did wind up for that game. Scored a, a really pretty goal. Uh, gets a great stretch pass from Andy Green, who who is doing everything, by the way, uh, Andy Green and Noah Dobson to stay in the lineup or, or to push their way into the lineup. And I'll get to that in a second. But Andy Green with a great stretch pass to Anthony Beauvillier on a two-on-one against Igor Shisterkin, uh along with Brock Nelson. And you know, Beauvillier was strong. He, he kept the puck. He went short side. Really beautiful goal there. And, and the Islanders, uh, if one thing came out of that game against... The Rangers, it's that they need to be more aggressive to the net. They need to get more pucks on the net. That will be crucial uh, against Sergei Bobrovsky and the Florida Panthers. So lineup question number two is, who is that 12th forward? Um... Do you want to believe that it will be Ross Johnson based on the fact that Barry Trotz said, uh, you know, he would use about 95% of his lineup from uh, Wednesday's exhibition game in game one. And perhaps that 5% was the fact that Barry dressed eight defensemen, Uh, all NHL teams were allowed. Two extra skaters, uh, more than normal in a regular game, uh, regular season or playoffs. When you're allowed 18 skaters and two goalies for this exhibition game, you were allowed 20 skaters and uh, and, and two goalies. And uh, you know, I, I think the thought was that, and, and most coaches did this. You you dressed a thirteenth forward and a seventh defenseman. Uh but instead Barry dressed the twelve forwards and he went with eight defensemen because he wanted to see the Andy Green, Noah Dobson pairing, which looked, you know, honestly could have been their best pairing through training camp. He wanted to see that against an opponent. Those two did not disappoint. They really didn't. I mean, if if the two of them are not in Game 1's lineup on Saturday. It's not because of anything they did not to be included. It's because Barry Trotz... Just felt more comfortable going with the, the, the three pairs he really established during the, the course of the season, which of course would be Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak, which is a, a lock, an absolute lock to be in the lineup. And Devontae's who had the uh, second goal against the Rangers, a really, really nice uh, whistler of a wrister. Uh, past Henrik Lundqvist to the far side. Um, that that was a really pretty goal. Devontae's with Scott Mayfield. And then you got Nick Letty and Johnny Boychuk. And Johnny Boychuck, uh, you know, kind of picks a fight with Brendan Lemieux uh, in against the Rangers in an exhibition game. And uh, Nick Letty sees a little bit of time on the power play. Um, you know, that, that pair has been a, a, a constant pair, uh, you know, since the day both of them arrived with the Islanders together for the most part. So uh, Barry Trotts and the coaching staff with a, a really tough decision as to which six defensemen uh, they dress against the Panthers for game one. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think this will be the case. Uh, my buddy Brian Compton of NHL.com did ask Barry after Wednesday night's game, whether he, there was a chance, uh, Barry would consider dressing seven forwards and 11, uh, seven defensemen and 11 forwards, uh, in game one against Panthers. And I think Barry playing off the way the question was, was posited to him said, yes, there is a chance. Uh, uh, My personal opinion is that no. I, I think Barry will go traditional with 12 forwards and six defensemen. And, you know, as you'll hear Butch Goring say in a little bit, he might lose a little bit of sleep just trying to figure out which of those eight defensemen to cram into six spots over the next couple of days. So uh, um, that, that's... You know, those are the the three lineup questions that that I think you know uh, need to be answered, and uh, I think we got the answers on two of three because I think the fact that Barry went with Ross Johnson uh, against the Rangers really kind of tips his hand as to what he wants to do in that game one. And Ross has done nothing to, to come out of the lineup either. He had a you know he had an assist against the Rangers, and he also. He also looked pretty good in training camp, too. He's one of the guys that came back pretty strong. So, uh, um, you know, it, it, as far as adjustments for this series, uh, the biggest deal, really, for, for both teams is going to be getting used to playing in these empty buildings. You know, uh, on TV, it's it, it doesn't, you know, they're sure there are tarps over the seats. It doesn't look all that crazy or sound all that crazy just because there's kind of this taped crowd noise that is filtered into the broadcast, but that the players don't hear any of that on the ice or on the bench, you know. Uh, they're really making their own noise, and both Adam Pellick and Derek Broussard said on Thursday, that's probably the biggest thing they're going to have to get accustomed to. So it, it'll be, you know, as we've said all along, the team that wins the Stanley Cup this season is the team that uh, adjusts best to these unique circumstances living sequestered uh for possibly up to two, you know up to 2 months in a quarantined arena practice rink uh, hotel bubble uh the team that can cope with that best is going to do uh, the best and, and and to talk about how the islanders are going to do in that situation i i bring to you now my uh my chat with MSG Network's uh, Butch Goring, of course, uh, four-time Stanley Cup winner with the Islanders from 80 to 83, and also uh, one of their former coaches. So he can break it down from both a player point of view and from a coach point of view. So uh, here is my chat with Butch Goring.
1: Very, very happy to be joined once again by... uh... Islanders analyst and uh, my friend Butch Goring and and Butch how are you and uh, what was it like for you to uh, be back on the air broadcasting hockey again the other night?
2: It was uh, a great feeling as like everyone else you know the last three four months has been uh, difficult not a lot to do and trying to stay safe and do the right things but uh, anxiously awaiting the start of the season so uh, or the keep uh, get the pause going again and and so it's been great i mean there was uh it was fun last night and looking forward really to the uh, start of the playoffs
1: well let, let me ask you first what you you saw on the team last night you know i think the team agreed the pace was pretty good you know they, they could probably generate a lot more on net but it's probably important to to get that defensive structure in, in place first and, and work from there what, what did you see out of their uh 2-1 win over the rangers on wednesday night
2: well i i, I liked a lot of things that they did uh last night uh, you're right about it I, I think barry trotz wanted to see what his structure was i mean i know in attending practices uh obviously privy to what he was trying to get done and of course having watched this team last year. So I have a pretty good feeling for what, you know, how they're supposed to play. So uh, I thought it was a good first game for the Islanders. I thought that they um, they played with energy. I thought they got better as the the game went on and uh, they got a little more physical. Uh, and I would agree with you that I think, you know, obviously an area that i always have been concerned over the last little while is the offense, being able to score goals. So they didn't generate all that much, But they they certainly uh, didn't give up a whole lot of opportunities to to the Rangers. So I think it was a good first step for the Islanders. There'll be a couple of areas I'm sure Barry will work on over the next couple of days. But um, I I thought they looked uh, very, very sharp. Their their focus was good. They back-checked hard. Uh, I thought they supported one another very well. I I thought they came out very well-prepared.
1: To me, going into the Panthers series and going into that exhibition game, there were three questions I think Barry and, and the coaching staff needed to, to lock down as far as, you know, lineup decisions. One, you know, Varlamov or Thomas Grice and net, and, and two, you know, who that 12th forward is going to be probably on Pajot's line with Broussard. and and three, which, which defenseman does Barry dress against the uh, Panthers? Because he's got, you know, uh, you know, really nine defensemen, nine quality NHL defensemen. And, uh, you know, Sebastian Ajo is the 10th defenseman. Uh, everyone thinks he's going to be a good one. Did you, did you think you saw the answers to those three questions on Wednesday night? Uh, well,
2: two out of the three, I, I would suggest. Uh I was a little surprised, as I said during the broadcast last night, that you know Ross Johnston was was uh, the left winger on uh, on Pajot's line. Um, I really thought that uh, he might uh, Barry might go with a little more experience and he might play eleven forwards and take one last look. But um, you know, given uh, what he decided and and went with his just the, his twelve forwards, and Ross was there and Ross played well. So Ross didn't play a whole lot, especially down the stretch. But um, you know Ross is a, a obviously a big, strong individual. brings the physical play to the game, makes good decisions, and, and has some decent hands. So uh, it's not going to surprise me now that Barry Barry goes with uh, with Ross. Although one thing I've learned about watching Barry is he's never very predictable. Uh, he, always <laughs> yeah. pulls a sur- he always pulls a little surprise on you here and there. So from that perspective, I I, I think we maybe we saw the twelve forwards. Um, with the, with the goaltending, again, it was 50-50 for me only because, you know, Thomas Grice has owned the Florida Panthers and, and, um, you know, sometimes coaches decide, you know, it's, it's, you know, who do you do well and who do you seem to match up with? And Thomas Grice certainly seems to match up extremely well against the, uh, the Panthers, but, you know, Barlamov was signed uh, to be the number one guy and signed a long-term deal. So, um, I think Barry is, uh, you know, obviously headed in that direction, but, uh, last year with the hurricanes, uh, you know, Barry stuck to his guns and didn't make any changes, but if things go a little sour, perhaps he, uh, you know, will make a change, uh, um, this year for, for some reason they get behind in this series. So no real surprises with, uh, with the, with the goaltending, but as far as who the six defensemen are going to be, um, I'm not sure because, uh, He played all eight guys. He played them pretty regular. I didn't really see the ice time, Andrew. But um, you know, it wasn't like I thought. You know, in the last six, seven minutes, he might shorten the bench. He did not. Both Green and Dobson were out there and played a shift in the last five minutes. Green had a strong game. Both guys were plus one. Green had an assist. Beautiful pass to Beauvillier. So, um, who he's going to go with? Uh, Boy, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, the only. I think the only. Four guys that I, I think are, are locks for me is uh, Pollock and, and Pollock, I think will be, uh, you know, obvious choices. And, and Mayfield and Tay seem to play very well together. So I don't see Barry disrupting that. But the other four, two out of four, are going to be happy. And the other two are not going to be so happy. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the, the final countdown is. But Barry has hinted that, you know, if it doesn't go well or somebody has a bad game, he can certainly slip uh, someone else back into the lineup in, in a hurry for the next game, but uh, that's why he's the coach, and that's why he probably won't sleep a whole lot over the next two days.
1: <laughs> did, uh, in your mind, did, did, did Johnny Boychuk was that a, a plus in his in his ledger or a or minus? You know, when he drops the clubs against Brendan Lemieux, there somewhat. I I was I I I was a little surprised that that he fought in that spot.
2: It's uh it's not a plus or or a minus. I mean, certainly everybody knows uh you know Johnny Boychuk and and uh, he plays with his heart. And, uh, he plays with a lot of energy and emotion. And he's a you know funny guy and a tremendous leader. So anything he does is not really a surprise, but I mentioned on the air and I and, and I'd have to go back and watch the games, but I, I think that they owed Lemieux something from a previous game, and and I've often said it on many many occasions that hockey players have long memories, and and that to me that's what that looked like. Because Boychuk levied a pretty good hit on him, was clean. Yeah, Lemieux didn't particularly like it, but he didn't really initiate the fight. It was Boychuk, so that, that lends me to believe that uh, there was a he wanted to get even for something and let him know. You never know what they're saying because we didn't, weren't privy enough to, to be able to hear what they were saying, but uh, Johnny Boychuk initiated the fight, so uh, I think he was trying to even the score for something a little bit earlier on and, uh, you know, maybe a season or two ago, or a season anyway ago, not two.
1: Yeah, there there, there might be 30 teams in, in this league who uh, might like to even a score at one point or another with <laughs> Lemieux anyway. So. Yeah, he certainly um, is
2: an agitator
1: yeah like like father like son right yes you know given what you saw on Wednesday what's your scouting report going into the Panthers series how do you think the Islanders match up against the Panthers where do you think they might have an advantage and where do you think they might struggle against the Panthers
2: well you know when I look at those two teams and then certainly the the three games they played uh, during the regular season all close matches and and it's you know it's it's the battle of offense against defense. I mean the Florida Panthers, uh, no doubt about it, can put points up on the board. They they had some quality chances in the three games against the Islanders, and the goaltending was super and allowed the Islanders to uh, to win all all three games. So uh, it's just a matter for me is you know how good defensively do the Islanders play? Do you know how solid are they? Do they give up odd man rushes? Do they give up really good scoring opportunities? or at least give up very, very few. And that's because that's their game. And and the advantage for the Islanders is that, you know, offensively they're the they forecheck very well. The Panthers aren't as good in their own zone. And, you know, the goaltending is a little bit iffy. I mean, Boboski can be very good, but he hasn't been great. It almost seems like he's going to be good or he's not going to be good. So if the Islanders uh, continue to get great goaltending, then you, you have to think, you know, that the, game itself will end up being a 2-1 hockey game, and, and the Islanders will prevail more often than not. And then just one last side comment is relevant to that. The special teams will be huge, because the Florida Panthers have a lethal power play. Uh, we've seen that in the past, and the Islanders' power play has been average at best, so um, the Islanders have to win the special teams battle, or at least break even. I, I really think if if it's a draw on the special teams, they give up two, they get two. Uh, they'll they'll win the series because I think five on five uh, they'll play a better brand of hockey.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I was gonna the next question to you was who do you think is going to be better the the Islanders penalty kill, which is pretty good, especially with Pelican Casey Sasekis back, might be you know one of the better units in the league really with those two guys, and uh, or or the or the Panthers power play, which you know there are a few really key X factors in the series. One would be how Sergei Bobrovsky plays, but I I agree with you, you know, the the Islanders PK against the uh, Panthers power plays is going to be a a real crucial matchup.
2: Well, it will be. And regardless of who they play, I mean, the penalty kill is always an important factor and, you no, know, the the Islanders have some very good forwards. I mean, certainly with Clutterbuck and now Suzikis is back, so they have great rhythm. Don't forget that Pajot is a very good penalty for himself and he's dangerous. He can score shorthanded goals. So, you know, whoever uh he gets matched up, whether it you know, whether it's Bailey, whether it's Broussard, or whoever the secondary guy with Pajot might be. So they they've got some real good penalty killers up front and of course they're big and strong back on the defense. I mean, uh Pollock, mayfield and and uh, certainly pellick is uh, the number one penalty killer on defense for the Islanders. uh they've got some size back there and, and and that may be the determining factor as to who plays for the Islanders as the top six because green has got great experience uh, not the, the biggest guy but he's really smart around his net johnny boychuk is is a physical guy so those uh, those guys may get a little edge on on maybe maybe letty and uh and, and dobson so um, but the penalty kill uh, has been good pretty much most of the season. When they went sour, really, is when Zizekas wasn't around, Clutter wasn't around, Pelic wasn't around. So having all of those guys back, I think that the uh, there's no reason in the world why the Islanders can't, uh, can't be efficient on the PK, provided their goaltending is up to snuff.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you on the power play. So watching uh, practices at training camp 2.0, it seemed for the most part he had, uh, it was Pullock and uh, Taze, uh, you know, as the as the one defenseman on each unit with the four forwards. But I saw that he was playing Letty a little bit the other night. Do you think that's a, a glimpse into Barry's thinking as far as lineup? Or, or was it just trying to, just trying something there? I think Barry at times, uh,
2: you know, especially in that, that particular game, uh, no risk and,
1: and and I don't think he
2: wanted to overuse anybody I want to think he really wanted to monitor their time as best he can um, and so he was using that exhibition game to really get his team ready to, to not only you know to play the right way but um, ice time and, and so I wouldn't take any, any anything home too much as to who was playing although you know you've watched practices you've seen the power play you've seen the five guys the five man units and um so they'll i don't think they'll make any changes but who knows i mean they you know they've had three weeks to really get it ready and they look good in the first minute and then I, after that i wasn't i wasn't impressed and and uh you know and i've said it before i mean I, I just don't think they get the puck to the net uh anywhere near enough i think they're obviously very very concerned with getting their shots blocked but you know that's that's the trick to play in. You know, the point or playing on the outside is finding ways to uh, get the puck towards the net. It doesn't always have to be on the net, it just has to be in the area for screens and deflections and such. So, um, but it's there's no doubt that, you know, that the special teams uh, could play a, a major role. It could be really good for the Islanders or It could be really bad. And so, like I said, it's centered for me on, on that end of the, the game. Uh, I, I think that bodes well for the Islanders to advance. Yeah, and, you know, it was
1: it was odd watching the game because the Islanders seemed to dominate puck possession time. And then you look at the shots, and, you know, I, I think they had one shot through halfway through, uh, what was it, the first period, and then that
2: Beauvilliers
1: yeah. goal in the second period, I think, was their first shot on net in that period. And uh, Bo said afterwards that, you know, yeah, they were hitting the windows a little bit, and he thinks that's going to get straightened out. But is that – you know, is that something that can get straightened out that quickly, or is or is that a concern? The fact that you know they're they're missing the net with some uh, with some uh, frequency here. Well,
2: I, I think, Andrew, that that you know, for me, it's, it's a lot easier to find your defensive side of the game because the defensive side of the game is hard work, and then just being involved mentally in, in the game, and the offense takes time and and. So the little plays or the rhythm that you get into takes takes some time. And so I, I think you saw part of it last night. And I, I just think, you know, we, we watched Barry with his team drive, drive a whole lot of their drills. And I didn't think they did that as well last night. And, I, and mostly because maybe they didn't get the putt towards the net. They were trying to make passes. And I think that if they play a little bit more of a simple game, that once they get over that blue line and they get that center drive, you flip it towards the net, and, and I think that's going to create a lot more opportunities. So, you know, credit the Rangers with a good, solid game. I mean, uh, they didn't get a lot done offensively, in my opinion, and, but they they did work hard and they and they checked extremely well. Both teams were at an agenda; they wanted to get certain things done. They weren't worried about winning, and uh, that'll all be all change. Obviously, in another day or two. But uh, I, I think you know, the Islanders, uh, you know, were feeling their way, and, and they did enough good things. And the offensive part of the game, I think, it's obviously uh, they'll make some changes. Barry Barry does, I know, watching him over last year does an amazing job in, in, in making adjustments and changing and getting his team to um, to play a little differently the, uh, the next game.
1: Well, you bring that up, and one of the one of the fascinating things to me in this series is going to be the coaching matchup between Barry and, and Joel Quenville, and you know two two kind of masters at their craft. And to me, it would seem that you know both guys. It might be a long series just because neither coach is, is going to let the series get away from him.
2: Uh, from my perspective, being a former coach, uh, I think that that's going to be a, a very fun thing to watch to see uh, how diligent they are with their line matchups. Uh, you know, uh, certainly Barry's not a guy that pulls his lines off the uh, off the ice to, uh, for matchups. He lets them stay out there and a lot of times waits for face-offs and such. So um, I think that's going to be an interesting part of the game to watch and, and the fun part about coaching in the playoffs Andrew is is really the adjustments you know you play one team and then you don't see it for another month so you don't really focus in on adjustments so much predicated on to who you're playing it's more about okay we need to do this a little bit better but when you're playing a team in a playoffs scenario you can make adjustments you can see how the opposition's plays and so it'll be interesting to watch Marion as, as this playoffs go along with uh, the florida team what adjustments he makes and the same can be said for joel joel's got three stanley cups so he certainly knows all about winning and i guarantee he knows about about making adjustments the way they forecheck the way they back check and the way they might just go into the game mentally so that's going to be a fun part i mean you couldn't have two better coaches going at one another i mean with more experience more wins and more games involved in the NHL than these two guys. So uh, I I think that's going to be a real fun part of the game.
1: Derek Broussard and Adam Pellick were on a a conference call today, and they were just talking about how kind of weird it was being in the building without any noise and, you know, uh, just uh, the environment there. How Do you think that plays a factor at all? Into this, or the players are going to get, you know, as a former player, would you get used to that pretty quickly?
3: I I think
2: your focus will will sort of eliminate all the fans. I mean, when I was just doing the game last night with Brendan, I didn't really get bothered by the fact there was no fans in there. I I was concentrating on the game, and I think the players will. Will we'll do that. I think, you know, when they score a goal, uh, you know, obviously the the expectations would normally be, you know, a loud cheer, particularly if it was your home game. And I think more than anything else, Andrew, I think that there's really no home ice. So they're not going to be able to take advantage of that situation. Or, you know, everybody talks about the fans in the Coliseum. Well, that's not going to be there. And, and, and so the guys. They'll, they'll be saying, as you would normally say on the road, well, we got to make our own noise. And, and so if the Ominous can can be lucky enough to win the first two games against the Panthers, Panthers aren't going to have home ice. They're not going to be able to go home to their home crowd, which is going to be able to bol- bolster maybe their energy, their excitement. They're going to have to find a way to do it themselves. So I think that will be the challenge for for every team, really, that's involved in this, this scenario is just, uh, you know, focus but somehow energize it obviously if you're up a goal it's a lot easier to play the game than when you're down a goal
1: i heard you talk about this on the broadcast obviously when when the season was paused the islanders were struggling and you know we we've, we've sort of detailed the reasons no pellic no szzykus clutterbuck certainly not at 100% um you know they had lost i think it was 11 to 13 without szzykus they go in on an 03 and 4 slide and you were talking on the broadcast about how, you know, you really didn't think they were going to make the playoffs or, or you, you didn't see an easy road to the playoffs for him at that point. Given all that's, you know, happened do you, do you really see this as a, an absolute clean slate and, you know, any team can go on to win this? Or, or do you think there are going to be some, you know, lingering effects from, from what did happen during the season?
2: I think, from an Islander perspective, uh, this—you know—I mentioned it last night—is that just if there was any hockey gods out there, then they did the uh, New York Islanders a great service because they were struggling. There's no doubt about it. Florida was really playing well. The Rangers are really playing well, so. Uh, I mean, certainly if you were a betting man, I mean, you, 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 I don't know if you could bet on the Islanders getting the playoffs. I mean, uh, they, they were going in the wrong direction, and there was a couple teams that were going in the right direction. So the pause came at the exact right time. The Islanders were playing their worst hockey in, uh, during the season. Now, to get to your B part of the question, is that for the Islanders, it's, it's a second chance. They know that they weren't playing well. And now they've had a chance to, uh, to rethink they've had a chance to really get themselves ready with three weeks of training camp they've had a chance to get healthy you know does that mean they're one to nine to win the stanley cup no but on the other side of it you know can florida recapture its magic can the rangers recapture they didn't get a lot done last night for me you know florida got beat five nothing by tampa so you know so it may hurt a couple of teams Teams like Boston, as an example, can they recapture their magic because they were in first place by a wide margin. So for the Islanders, I think it's a no-lose situation, really, because they weren't playing well. They may not have made the playoffs, and so now they have a chance to, uh, to make an impression where some of the other teams, flyers. So if a couple people stumble, uh, you know, then all the good that they had in the first 70 games is, is really out the window.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, uh, you know, people ask me, who do I see coming out of this? And I I really – I couldn't give you a good answer on how this is all going to (laughs) break once play really does start. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely – you know, as much as I would like to be in the buildings, you know, covering the games live, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to sitting there and uh, listening to you and Brendan uh, through this restart. And uh, Butch, I, I wish you all the best. And, and and it was really good catching up with you at practice uh, during training camp. No
2: problem at all. I I, I enjoyed it. And you know what? You'll probably get more of the games listening to Brendan and I anyway than you will just watching. We're very <laughs> insightful. You know that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, listen, Butch, thank you so much for the time and uh I'll, I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right, Andrew, be well.
0: And now we go from the Islanders' perspective with Butch Goring to the Florida perspective. Steve Goldstein of Fox Sports Florida, the Panthers' fine, fine, fine play-by-play voice, is now going to give you the uh, the perspective uh, on the Panthers coming into this series. And uh, one of my regrets uh, in this interview with Steve, I did not bring up. Uh, and, and you'll hear him say, you know, he, he comes from Brooklyn. He's a Brooklyn kid. Um, I, we did not start chatting about Syracuse, uh, which I'm sure would have bored all of you to tears, but we could have had some fun doing that. Um, Steve graduated Newhouse in Syracuse in 91, and I was two years before him in 89, so you guys can now all do the math and figure out how old we are. But uh, anyway, here's my chat with Steve Goldstein of Fox Sports Florida about the Florida Panthers. Steve, how are
1: you? It's Andrew. Uh, I hope uh, hope all is well. Hope you're healthy and uh, staying safe down there in uh, Florida.
3: And trying to do the right thing, Andrew, like uh, like everybody else, just being careful. And like you said, we're all uh, we're, we're all really happy to have have hockey back. That's uh, it's going to be terrific.
0: Well,
1: let me just dive right in. What are what are your expectations here for uh, what we can expect? I mean, there's been no. No hockey now for four months, and you go right into elimination games. I know the Panthers have a, uh, you know, playing an uh, exhibition game against the uh, Lightning. But really, it's it's right into the, the fire for all these teams. What do you expect out of the Panthers? And, uh, you know, if there's a reason you think they might have success, what would it be?
3: Well, if they, you know, first off, I don't know what to expect from any of these teams. I mean, this is, uh, you know, unprecedented. Except for, you know, maybe when they played the World Cup, if you recall those yeah. games, um, yep. you know, they were going from training camp. They hadn't really been playing and right into the, the, the teeth of it, um, you know, but they're hockey players I think they always find a way to adjust. So I think a level of play will be very good. Um, I know most of these coaches, you know, we followed along with different teams. We've you know heard stories over the last few weeks how, you know, coaches have stopped practices and putting pressure on players and all those types of things. And every team is scrimmaged, and they'll get the one exhibition game from the Panther standpoint, if they're going to win, um, you, know, you got to look at Sergei Bobrovsky. You know, this guy is capable um, coming into this past season, you know, over the last three years, he was number one in the league in wins and shutouts and second and save percentage. Um, did not have probably for a number of reasons his, his typical season. But what an opportunity, right? The, the season stops. He was actually hurt. He was getting close to coming back, but he was hurt when the season stopped. And here he is, rested, healthy, And, you know, a great opportunity for him to just get right in there and and win games. So I think, um, you know, I I think he is really the key to the series. If he is on, um, he's the best player in the series, I think, for both teams. If he's at his best.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a goalie that has won the Vezina Trophy can certainly be a series changer, Uh, particularly in this short series. Uh, You know, best of five leaves absolutely no room for for any kind of, uh, you know, mistakes or error almost. I don't know the exact stat, but I, I think in, you know, historically best of five series, the team that wins game one, you know, goes on to win. It's like 70, 80 percent of the series, which would just seem logical.
3: Yeah, you yeah, know, and they, it's been a long time. The Islanders have had the Islanders, though, Andrew have had the great success from back in the old days. I mean, they dominate in these five game series,
1: <laughs> but it's been a not, long time. Yeah. yeah, no, if they could only reactivate Brian Trottier and Boss and uh, Gillies, <laughs> you know, they, they they they'd be a lock here. So, uh, um, <laughs> just going back to the Bob, I, you know, I, I talked to George Richards uh, last week. Uh, you know, Florida Hockey now Panthers beat reporter, and he was saying, you know. Yeah, Bob's numbers looked ugly, but there were a lot of games where he gave up five goals because of maybe some you know leaky defense, and it, it it could have been you know ten goals. He was still the best player on on ice. I know he went through injuries. Just how difficult a transition do you think Bob had to uh you know Florida and, and a new team after those years in Columbus?
3: Well, you know, certainly there were games. Look, the Panthers defensively, you know, were not playing very good hockey up until, you know, the last few games. Um, you know, yeah. It was inconsistent at best. Um, but you do have to remember when Bob didn't play and Chris Krieger got in there, um, you know, they played differently. Um, you know, I think Sergei put a lot of pressure on himself and the way he plays. You know, he's very acrobatic and he's aggressive and um, – you know, I think the Panthers defense wasn't totally used to that because when Drieger got in there, he was very quiet in net. Plays a very simple game. So I think um from from one standpoint it was, you know, more scrambly, if you will, when Bobrovsky yeah. played. But um certainly I think there's a number of reasons. I I'm sure the money had something to do with it. He is a major, major, like a lot of goaltenders, like a lot of people and players, but you know, take it to another level, um, creature of habit type person. So here you are from where he lived, his route to the rink, where he went, when he got there. I think it was an adjustment for him. Um I thought it was a big adjustment for him being being here in Florida. Um so I think there were a number of different reasons and he was banged up a couple of times during the season. Now, you know, nobody besides him or maybe the medical team really knows how bad he was banged up. Um so maybe he was playing through a few injuries. Um there were times though, there were flashes where we saw, you know, Bobrovsky just be, you know, unbelievable. And the Sergei Wabrowski that we all figured that the Panthers were getting. So, I think it's a it's a combination of factors like these things usually are why he did not have the typical season that he's used to having. Remember, you know, you start getting deeper into you know some analytics and things like that. Um, you know, Columbus, the Columbus Blue Jackets are one of the best teams in the league historically over the last you know three, four, five years at um, you know high danger. I believe, scoring chances or even shots on goal, um, and, and the Panthers have been in the lower half of the league in that category. So, sure, he was seeing more quality opportunities from the opposition as well, and you really don't know. I mean, he's the only one that really knows how that might have affected him as well.
1: You talk about the, the Panthers playing a little bit better defensively. What What tightened it up? you know, the the last, you know, maybe month of the season for him. I know, you know, they make that trade, um, you know, they send Vincent Trochek to the the Hurricanes, get back Holland, Lucas Walmart, um, you know, Chase Prisky. What 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 kind of turned it around defensively for this team, uh, you know, before the season was put on pause?
3: I think there was just a realization that hey, you know, we're not gonna you know, February was tough. You know, they went into the all star break. Um, You know, in a playoff spot, they had won six in a row. They were playing very well. But, you know, a lot of it was due to offense. You know, they had a great comeback in Minnesota where they scored late to win the game. And, you know, there were just some wild games that they they can outscore people. I mean, we know that. The Panthers have great offensive talent. So I think when they struggled in February, once the scoring dried up um, for a little while, I think there was, you know, you talk about team meetings and things like that. I think it, it came to a head that said, hey, we are going to fall out of this thing. If we don't change the way we play and you know, kind of take a page out of the Islanders book, you know, let's be simple. Let's be responsible defensively. Don't cheat for offense, all those things. And almost on a dime, uh snap of the fingers, they started playing that way. And Bobrovsky wasn't even playing gold. Drieger was, but the quality chances weren't there. And Drieger was making the saves. And um, they had it really going in the right direction. The last game before the suspension of the season um they had a great playoff type grinding two one win in St Louis over the defending Stanley Cup champs. That was the last game they played.
1: that yeah, probably made Coach Q pretty happy to win that kind of game um oh yeah <laughs> what, what, what's the transition been like to to Joel Quinville uh as a coach? you know certainly he has an incredible resume and you know the, the the coaching matchup in this series is fascinating between Q and and, and Barry, the uh, two most uh, the coaches with the two most wins among the active coaches. And uh, you know I'm wondering how big a benefit is it for this team to maybe get a, a second training camp in under and you know Quenville in the season, you know to you know to to help with whatever adjustments still need to be made
3: yeah I think it's real beneficial. It's almost like a new year, you know except you have no you have no you said it's five games and if you lose three if you have nine bad periods uh you're out uh yeah. so it's almost like a new season in, in a lot of ways um for, for for the panthers but you know it it just goes again he he's able to now reinforce um you know the way they need to play and be better without the puck and you know manage the puck well and do the job defensively and be predictable in your game you know, all the things thingsclinville always says um it's almost it's almost like, you know, they listened a little bit, they followed it a little bit, then they followed it a lot and had success. And now you have a two week training camp where he can pound all those things again. And, you know, when you got guys like Brian Boyle, who's back in the lineup, uh, you got guys like Noah Achari, who went to game seven last year, uh, and Brett Connolly, who won the Cup with the Caps in 18. Now that you have those guys as you know the other players are very familiar with them because they're all first year panthers it's almost like a second season and hopefully for the panthers sake these guys follow those guys lead of how you need to play in the playoffs the panthers are capable of playing that you know that type of game and having success they just have to be willing to do it and have to have the patience to do it the way the islanders play you know the islanders won all the matchups during the season as you know, Andrew, they were all tight, close games, could have gone either way. But the Islanders, who are so good at finding a way to win those games and being comfortable, the Islanders are comfortable when there's five minutes left and it's a one-goal game. They have no problem. They're not pressing for goals. They, You know, they're very common in those situations. The Panthers have to match that.
1: Yeah, no, and you're right. It was it was essentially three one-goal games. I know the the game down in Florida ended up 3-1, but that was a – you know, an empty netter by Adam Pellick with three seconds left. So, for all intents and purposes, it was three one-goal games between the uh, between the teams. Uh, Coach Quenville, from my understanding, I mean, the, the, the Panthers' top six is, you know, is a lethal top six, but. Q has kind of balanced it out now, so it's not so top heavy, right? Huberdu comes off of that line with Barkov and Dadnov and is now uh, skating with Hoffman. And it just, you know, how can that, you know, really be a benefit to the Panthers to kind of get that, you know, a, a little more balance and, and being a little less, you know, top heavy, as it were?
3: Well, I think it's fascinating that you brought that up because. A few years ago when the Panthers had that great success, if you recall, when Bob Bubner was coached, they had that great run in the second half. They went like 23-7 and seven or something and just came up short of the playoffs. And not that it's the only reason, but it coincided with Bob Bubner moving Jonathan Huberdeau uh, off of Alexander Barkov's line to give that balance and maybe give Huberdo a little bit more, I don't want to use the word responsibility, but everybody wants to play with Barkov. I mean, the guy is great. Um, You know, he's going to do the work defensively and maybe subconsciously players figure, okay, he's got the defensive part. I can kind of do my thing offensively a little bit more. So this theory, you know, Huberto and Barkoff for the most part in their careers have played together. But this idea of separating them, Joel Quenville is now the second straight coach that has done that. And when he's done it, he's found success. Um, so I find that interesting, and yes, he certainly wants the balance um, on those lines. He puts a guy like Petrano now with Barkov. Frank is not a huge scorer, but he'll forecheck. He'll hit. He's fast. He brings a little bit of a different element. Um, so certainly the balance between offense and defense. Uh, Hall has been a playoff player. You know, he's a veteran, so he knows his way around the ice. Um, and then you go down, you know, guys like Boyle and Achari anchoring their lines. Uh, clearly, Quenville wants to and feels that in order to have any success, they need balance of offense and defense on the lines. And and that's the way at least they're going to start game one. We'll see how long it lasts because like Barry Trotz, um, Joel Quenville will not at all uh, be patient, overly patient at pulling the trigger to make a change if he has to in a five-game series.
1: I know how good a player Vincent Trocek is and, you know, how much he meant to that Panthers room. Particularly, you know, I know he's gone through some injury issues the last couple of seasons, but when healthy, you know, a real core piece to, to what the Panthers did the last, you know, four, four or five seasons. What's been the dynamic like since he was traded and you bring in a Eric Holla and a Lucas Walmart, and, and, and how has that changed things up for the team?
3: Well, from the, from the room standpoint, I think it spread out the voices a little bit more, you know, Trocek had been here for a while and he was a leader, you know, Huberdo and Barkov, um, you know, getting dad You off. Know, these guys aren't the, the, you know, loud, boisterous type guys, you know, and Trocek is. So he kind of became, you know, and was that type of guy and, maybe some other guys, um, even veterans that were brought in, um, you know, maybe felt like, Hey, you know, uh, it's a new situation. We know how hockey is You know, everybody's so respectful of teammates and all that and never want to kind of upset the apple cart. So I think what it's done from a leadership standpoint is maybe given more of a voice and more of an opportunity um, to some other players. As far as Trocek himself, I mean, look, I, I got along with the guy. Great. I thought he was a super guy, um, you know, known him for years. I wish him all the success but whether it was the injuries or a factor, a combination of things, um, he just wasn't the same player, you know, the last couple of years, especially this year. I mean, they make that trade. You know, Eric Hall had the same number of goals as Kocek did at the time of the trade. Right. Um, so I think they just felt like, look, first of all, they needed, they wanted to get another center, whether it's for now or the future. So you go and get Walmart, who's going to be here. You get two more players in the minors. Um, Luce in who's like a 21-year-old Finn, you know, good all-around Player, centerman, like most Finns are. Um, So they wound up getting four guys for one. Um, And they're able to kind of help out and replenish their their prospect pool by the two guys that aren't on the NHL roster. So I think there were a number of different factors. Um, If the team was winning, maybe they don't make the deal, but the team was struggling. And, you know, and Trocek was struggling. You know, he had a big responsibility on this team as the second line center. And um, for whatever reason, whether it was his fault or, you know, line mates or whatever the situation was. um, Nobody ever really knows, right, in those types of deals. Um, It just wasn't working, you know, with them. I mean, it was a huge time in the season, February into March. Panthers are trying to make the playoffs, and and they were struggling in a big way. So um, it's going to be interesting to see moving forward. I'm curious to see how Trochak plays for Carolina in the playoffs, and obviously uh, how these guys, you know, this this haul, I mean, four guys for one, um, is certainly an interesting trade. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, you know, I know the team went into the break, you know, it, it seemed like it was a different team, you know, a, a little bit, you know, and uh, but uh, but of course, that was four months ago, just circling back to the defense real quickly. I mean, you know, people know Keith Yandel, what he brings and, you know, uh, Aaron Ekblad for, for sure. And, and Ekblad is, is healthy and he's good to go from all accounts, correct?
3: Uh, he should. Joe Conville said he'll be ready when the games so, count. So whether or not oh. that means he plays Wednesday in the exhibition, uh, he did skate the other day. He didn't practice with the team, but skated. So by all by all counts, it seems like it's uh, whatever it is. It's precautionary.
1: All right, and you know Mike Matheson is a a, a solid D man. I'm curious about you know the, the veteran they brought in from the Lightning, Anton Strawman, You know who has had mm-hmm. several deep playoff runs, be it with the, uh, the Rangers of the lightning, how is he added to that group? And, uh, you know, what, what do you think he brings into a playoff, you know, environment for, for, for this team? Well, this is really why they got him. You know, you want
3: a guy that knows his way around the ice and, and all those types of things. So, um, you know, he's a guy that can again have a voice and, you know, both through his play and maybe through some of his words, um, can preach, the way you need to play to win in the playoffs, because as you said, you know, two, two straight cup finals in 14 and 15, um, you know, he's been there. Um, He knows the way you're supposed to play, play these playoff games. So, you know, right now he's paired up with a young guy in Riley Stillman Um, wouldn't surprise me if at times, you know, he goes with, with a veteran, you know, a lot of these, especially Joel Quenville, a lot of these coaches, especially in a quick series, you may go to, you know, four or five defensemen at certain times by whoever's going, um, you know, play them just huge minutes because um, it's do or die. So, Strawman is one of those guys that they targeted in free agency to bring in a player that, like you said, had been there and can kind of help out these young guys because even these veteran players the Panthers have, um, when you talk about Ekblad and Matheson, I mean, they've been around. They haven't played many playoff games. I mean, they've been in that series against the Islanders in 16, and that's been it. So, I, I think there's going to be a heavy reliance, um, on guys like Strawman and Boyle and Nola Chari, um, in terms of leading the way of the way y- you need to play these games, especially against a team like the Islanders, which you know everybody listening knows knows as well as I do. The Islanders can shut it down uh, with the best of them and 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 really frustrate you and, and make you you know gamble and make mistakes.
1: Hey, uh, speaking of shutting down with the Islanders, getting Casey Sezekis and uh, defenseman Adam Pellick back healthy, um, you know, which, you know, if the season had continued uh, through March, might not have been the case. It certainly helps the Islanders' penalty kill, but we, we all know how good the, the Panthers' power play is. Do you see an advantage to, to one or the other of the special teams Here in this series, uh, Islanders-PK or uh, Panthers-Power play?
3: You know, it's going to be fascinating, Andrew, because I think this layoff kind of leaves everything up up in the air. I don't know that if it really matters how teams were playing beforehand because you're going to be looking at such a small sample size.
0: You know, I mean,
3: you know, like let's say you get three power plays a game. So two games into the series, right, if someone's up 2-0, the other teams back to the wall and they may only have like four power plays, you know? So if you score once you're 25%, if you score zero, you stink at zero percent. You know what I mean? So, um, I really don't have a good feel for how the special teams, I think they will be a factor, obviously like they are in every series, especially when, you know, you look historically five on five, the way the Islanders play. I mean, the Panthers are going to have a hard time scoring five on five. So the goals they are going to get, I mean, you have to think at least percentage of them will be on the power play. Um, But I don't really have a good feel for how quickly, you know, things will pick right up. You know, a lot of power play stuff is timing and things like that. and, you know, I, th- I think it's like the beginning of a season, you know, sometimes, you know, in the opening week of a season, teams you expect to be great or 0-3 and, you know, or 3-0, and and it- if you didn't expect them to be great, and in this case, that's the difference between going home and moving on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, just one last one, and, and Steve, I, I appreciate all the time you, you're taking here, but just what, what are your memories of that 2016 series, which, which was really, you know, six games, six really competitive, fantastic hockey games. What did what did you take away from that series? And I know, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily applicable to this series, but it still was, uh, you know, for the Islanders, at least winning a playoff series for the first time. I think it was since 93. That was that was a huge deal.
3: Yeah, and the Panthers are trying to win one for the first time since 96, and they're still trying to do that coming up this time. Um, you know, what I remember in that series is for the most part, I thought the Panthers outplayed the Islanders. Thomas Bryce was incredible, and the Panthers had some opportunities. You know, they had the lead um, at Barclays to try to go up 3-1 in the series. They had a lead in that game. Um, Barkoff had the overtime penalty shot in here, here in Florida in game five. If he gets that one and the Panthers win that game five, totally different story, obviously. Um, Cause you know, you're coming home for a game seven, obviously at the end of game six, when Trocheck looks like he has the empty net goal and his trip, there's no call. And then John Tavares, you know, gets that goal to tie it. Um, yeah. Just unbelievable. Um, heartbreak is really what I remember because the Panthers had so many opportunities late in that series to seize control of it. And, just could not do it, and um, it was a heartbreaking, you know, three of the three of the last four games go to overtime, two to double overtime, um, and the Islanders just found a way, and it was, a, you know, basically a war of attrition, and they found a way, and, um, and and Grice was unbelievable, so those are kind of the things I remember um, about that, ser- that, that series. Also, you know, the Islanders did a phenomenal job shutting down Barkov, Huberdo, and Jaromir Yager, who the three of them had had a great year um and the islanders really did a super defensive job against them
1: yeah and uh from the islanders standpoint who barry trotz goes to you know thomas grice or Semyon varlamov is, you know is something as we've discussed we probably won't know for game one until the team skate out onto the ice whereas uh the <laughs> panthers have the bob so uh <laughs> that'll be interesting hey listen steve I appreciate all this time and uh, hopefully looking forward to chatting again as the series progresses and down the line. And uh, I hope you uh, stay safe and uh, and enjoy being back to work.
3: Well, terrific, Andrew. And I just want to say for everybody listening, uh, you know, I listen to you and uh, to this, you know, often even like when I'm not on it, and I think it's outstanding and I think it's great. As someone that grew up in Brooklyn, did live in Oceanside for a few years as a Ranger fan. Um, I think it's awesome that the Islanders – um, and the great fan base on the island finally got that arena deal. I know it's been decades uh, back and forth and arguing with politicians and Brooklyn. I think it's awesome that uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and
1: that thing is going to be built. Should be great. Yeah, no, absolutely. A UBS Arena, <laughs> and uh, of course, it's not the <laughs> Islanders without you know arena of agita so you know before they can get to uh belmont <laughs> they got to figure out where they play next season but you know that's a that's a podcast for another day <laughs> hey steve <Yeah>. listen. all <laughs> the best to you and uh, thanks again so much for uh taking the time thank you andrew i'll see you
0: and, and a big thank you to steve goldstein for lending that perspective on the panthers the islanders opponent in this upcoming best of five qualifying series, and also uh, a a big thanks to Butch Goring for hopping on and and breaking down the Islanders coming into this series. Now, as far as uh, my prediction, as I promised you way back at the start of this uh, podcast, I think, as Butch and I talked about, uh, you know, with Joel Quenville behind the Florida Panthers bench and Barry Trotz behind the New York Islanders bench. I don't think either two of these grand chess masters and Joel Quenville is the all time, uh, leading NHL coach in terms of wins for uh, active NHL coaches. And he's followed at number two by Barry Trotz. So these are two guys who know what they're doing. Uh, Q won three cups with the, uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks and, uh, Barry won one with the Washington Capitals. I, I just see this as a series where neither team or neither coach allows the series to get away from him, meaning that, you know, playoff series. And and yes, this is a playoff series. I know they're calling it a qualifying series. This is a playoff series, folks. Playoff series are always about momentum swings and which team can react the best and, and stem the mo- momentum swings. And I just think Q and Barry are so well equipped to keep their teams from being buried by momentum swings that I really see this series going five games. And at the end of it, I think the Islanders are just a better team. And I, I think... Uh, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky is certainly going to be an X-factor. If he's a Vesna Trophy winning goalie here, the Islanders are going to have issues. If he struggles as he did in the regular season or, or he did in the, the Panthers 5-0 uh, exhibition loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, then that's going to be a real problem for Florida. But I, I think between Semyon Varlamov and Thomas Grice, the Islanders are going to be fine in net. I, I like the Islanders' forward depth. And I love the Islanders' defensive depth. I mean, you know, yeah, you got Andy Green and Noah Dobson there. And you also, you know, Thomas Hickey who was an Islanders regular for season after season after season. Obviously had a tough time uh, once he got that concussion, and Devontae's uh, supplanted him in the lineup uh, last season, and then he wound up spending this season at Bridgeport uh, for the most part. Uh, Thomas Hickey is an NHL defenseman as well, and and he's their ninth defenseman. So I love the Islanders' defense. I do like their forward depth, as I mentioned, with Sezikis and Clutter, Back fully healthy, I, I think they're going to be able to wear down the Panthers a little bit during the series. Um, as Butchie said, I think the Islanders' special teams can can get to even with the with the Panthers in terms of the Islanders' penalty kill and the uh, Panthers' power play. And you know, the Islanders need to pot a a, a few power play goals here. Um, That may be the most, you know, iffy thing of the series uh, for the Islanders. But I I do think the Islanders have a a better team top to bottom. And and I think they will prevail in five games. And uh, we will talk about how this series is progressing on the next episode of Island Dice. Until then, I thank you all for listening and, uh, if you haven't already, uh, go find Island Ice wherever uh, podcasts are found. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, you know the places. Uh, please subscribe, uh, you know, get the notifications when a new uh, podcast is posted, please rate, please leave a comment, funny or otherwise. And uh, also, please go to the Newsday website, newsday.com sports for all your Islanders Newsday coverage. So until I, I talk to you again, uh, this is Andrew Gross of Newsday at agrossnewsday on Twitter. Look, let's make this one count. Happy hockey, everybody.